If you have a Bible, uh, we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 11 today. Christmas has come and gone. It's only 362 days till we do it again. <laughs> I, sometimes, I sometimes feel like uh, Ebenezer Scrooge, not before Christmas, but after his visits with the spirits. Uh, Charles Dickens penned these words, I, I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past, the present, and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. I will not shut out the lessons that they teach. And there's so much wrapped up in this story of Christmas and what it is and Jesus coming to the earth and making himself known and revealing the Father to us and all that it's purchased for us. And uh, I just hope that we, we fully understand it, not just at this season, but all the year through. And uh, maybe before we jump into 2015, we're going to take one last look at Christmas. And I mean, how could we not? And so I want to ask you the question today of, do you believe? Do you believe? See, there's a, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Miracle on 34th Street. It's one of my uh, favorite Christmas movies. I don't know if I have a favorite. They're all my favorite, except the ones that are sad. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but Christmas movies are not to be sad. Uh, the Christmas Shoes is not a good movie because people don't die in movies. They die in real life. And so if I watch a movie, I don't want people to die in it. I want to pretend that life always works out the way that it's supposed to, at least. And so uh, Christmas movies that are sad are just uh, pointless. And so um, The Miracle on 34th Street, of course, you know, fairy tale fantasy movie. Um, I love the new version. Usually when they remake a movie, they don't do it as well. But if you've ever seen the old version, maybe you're a fan of that versus the newer version, which is probably from 1999, so it's not that new, although it feels like just yesterday, doesn't it? Um, but the story, if you've never seen it, of a young girl and a single mom, that uh, the little girl is just too realistic and practical to believe in a Santa Claus, and the mother has taught her that the world is cruel and heartless, and you just need to fend for yourself, and you, there's no need to believe in fairy tales like Santa Claus, because if you do, you'll just be disillusioned and, you know, men will hurt you and people will hurt you and, uh, you know, you have to take and fight and she's taught this young child to, to do that and to live in that world and their neighbor, of course, trying to uh, instill childlike faith and hope and uh, better things in this child is, you know, trying to get her to believe in Santa Claus and there's this whole fight and um, this young, this older gentleman, of course, shows up at the Thanksgiving Day Parade and uh, becomes the Santa Claus in the face until the old evil man across the street who wants his department store to flourish uh, devises a plan to trap Santa, uh, I mean Kris Kringle, into hitting someone with his cane. And then, of course, the trial and the whole movie is about the trial and whether or not this man who believes himself to be Santa Claus is insane or not insane. And uh, a whole movement sparks where people begin to say, I believe. And uh, even the two that started this whole thing and got Kris Kringle to strike them with a cane at the end of the story are revealing that they too are wearing the buttons that say, I believe. I wish I had an I believe button to show you, but uh, uh, that they believe in Santa Claus and uh, that he exists in it sweeps across New York City and everyone's excited that uh, Santa Claus exists in the person of Kris Kringle and uh, yada, yada, yada. And so that's the story, whether or not. And Santa, of course, has become one of the more controversial parts of the Christmas holiday, especially for Christians, because we don't know that we want to believe in Santa because, after all, it takes away from the true meaning of Christmas and 
Uh, it becomes something that many people think is just a sign of the commercialism and materialism of Christmas. And others who want to believe will say, well, no, he stems from Chris, uh, from St. Nicholas. And there's a, a saint, and uh, he was very giving and uh, very generous to the poor. And so it comes from that, and so we can keep that alive. And, and so this war goes on. Do we believe in Santa Claus? Do we not believe in Santa Claus? Do we teach our kids to believe? Do we not teach our kids to believe? Which is better for them? Which is worse for them? And there's all kinds of articles and stuff you can read on this and people going back and forth and trying to convince you that their way is right. And, uh, you know, of course, if we teach them that there's a Santa Claus, then we're lying to them. And then when they grow up, they'll think that we lied to them about Santa. So we also lied to them about Jesus. He wasn't really born of a virgin. And all of that was just make-believe and fairy tale too. So it's better to tell them the truth from the beginning and not confuse them with all of these lies and and I really don't care whether or not you believe in Santa Claus. It has absolutely nothing to do with the message today. So take heart. I'm not going to tell you to believe or not believe. That's not what I'm asking. So if you go to Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to talk about something a little bit more important than Santa Claus. I want to ask you the question, do you believe in God? And now all of you today would be like, well, we wouldn't be here this morning if we didn't believe in God. But I'm not concerned as to whether or not you can answer the question quickly. I'm concerned as to whether or not our lives live like we believe in God. Do we believe in God? More so than that, do we believe that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him? And again, I don't want you to answer quickly because we would all say, well, yes, we believe that. But I want us to take a look at our lives and even ask the Holy Spirit, not just today, but in these coming weeks as we go into this 21-day fast, as we go into this new year, God, make us a people that genuinely believe in you and that you reward those who earnestly seek you. And that's what Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says. I want to read verse 5 because I want to talk in just a moment about this crazy guy named Enoch that we're introduced to here. It says, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. Now, there's all kinds of people that say, well, you know, he just disappeared or he died in the wilderness. He didn't really just get taken. And uh, people, this is just a myth. This is just a fairy tale. And, and, uh, but we know that Elijah was taken from the earth. We have an eyewitness account, not just Elisha, but all of the other prophets that watched Elijah be taken to heaven without tasting death. And so it's not impossible for us to believe that a man generations before that named Enoch experienced this type of life where he went to be with the Lord in heaven but never experienced death here on this earth. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Now, I don't know about you, but that would be a great epitaph on our tombstone, um, known as one uh, commended for one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, before we dive in, uh, we know that salvation is by faith alone. We know as good Christians that we don't earn it. It's not something that we do. I mean, the Bible tells us clearly God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. 
And at first glance, you might look at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 and Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 and say, it seems like they fight against each other. It seems like here it says God's going to reward those who diligently or earnestly seek Him. And here it says that we, you know, it's just by grace, it's all a gift of God He's just going to do. And many people live their lives that way. They believe that God exists, but He's just you know, up there doiling it out however He desires. I mean, after all, God is sovereign, completely sovereign over all events of the earth. And so He's just going to do what He wants to do when He wants to do it. And I have no say in it whatsoever. And yet, if that's the case, then Jesus would have never taught us to pray and ask God to do something and to continue to ask until God acts on our behalf. Jesus would have never taught us to continue to pray. He would have just said, just sit by and watch God do it as God wants to do it. And so it's not okay for us to live as if God exists and not believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. But I think many times we do. And sometimes I think we would say, amen, yes, absolutely, God rewards those who earnestly seek Him, but we live our lives not so much earnestly seeking Him. So either we don't want the reward, or we don't believe it. And maybe we believe it in our heads, but not in our hearts. And what I want us to do is believe it in our hearts. And I'm not up here today saying, Look at me, I believe it in all my heart. I, no, sitting on that pew and singing, we're desperate for you, I realize I'm not. I'm not. I mean, I am sort of, kind of. I can feel it. I can sense it. I, I do some things that show there's a mark of desperation in my heart, but I yet really haven't fully come to the place of Enoch yet. But every day is a step in that direction. And I hope that that's what these next 21 days for us produce in our lives. Not just 21 days, but an entire lifetime of seeking after God earnestly. Because the scripture does teach us that we remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see, his faith and his actions work together. It's not a question of whether it's by faith or by action. It's a question of whether or not our faith is proved by our action. Because genuine, biblical, true belief or faith, because belief and faith are the same word, has a corresponding action to it. In other words, it proves itself by how I live my life. I cannot claim to believe in a God and yet my life denies Him. I, I don't obey His word and I don't think about it. It's not that when I disobey, I'm repentant. I, I just don't even care. If that's the case, we don't believe in God. I know we would like to say we do and maybe we have a card in our wallet that proves that we do or some other form of, of proof that we believe in God. But if our lives don't prove it, we don't believe. I mean, we may fool ourselves into thinking we believe by attending church every week or as much as we can or as much as is convenient or as much as we want to. But if we don't actually prove it by the way we live our, our lives, we don't believe in God. The first part of that equation isn't even true for us. We have to believe He exists and we have to believe those, that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. In Romans 16, we're told, as the prophets foretold, as the eternal God has commanded, this message is made known to all the Gentiles everywhere so that they too might believe and obey. You'd be surprised if you studied out how many times in the scripture believe and obey are used interchangeably in the scripture or in connection with each other. It's like you can't have one without the other. You believe God, the, the demons believe in God, and they tremble, but they don't do what he says. If you're going to believe, obedience is the natural outflow or result of that. 
The grace of God has appeared, Paul tells us in Titus, that offers salvation. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Now, nowhere in the world would I believe or teach that the moment we put our faith in Christ that we become perfected completely here on this earth. I mean, we are immediately put in right standing with God because of what Christ has done for us and our lives begin to look more should begin to look more and more like him. And when they don't line up with what he says, there's a sorrow in our hearts. Some people say, you know, don't feel bad when you disobey God. Why? Have sorrow, but have godly sorrow. Not the kind of sorrow that leads to death and tries to produce acts of the flesh, but there should be a godly sorrow that leads us to repentance or to a changed life. In other words, when I recognize that my life doesn't match with what God says it should match with, there should be sorrow in my heart that says, God, change that. My life should look like Christ, and if it doesn't, something is wrong. Something's amiss. Transform me. Transform how I think. Transform how I talk. Transform how I live. Transform how I treat people. This just isn't okay. I'm living like you don't exist. I'm living like you don't reward those who diligently seek you. See this crazy guy, Enoch, in Hebrews chapter 11. We just get very small glimpses of Enoch throughout the scripture. There is a book of Enoch that has been passed down through Jewish history, and there are things that he has written, and obviously it's a genuine book because it's alluded to in the scripture. It's not in our Bible. It's not something that we believe is in the canon of scripture, if you will, or something that has been passed down to us to reveal God to us. Whether it should or shouldn't be, I'll leave for you to decide, but it teaches us in the word that Enoch did a lot of stuff. It wasn't like, you know, just a one verse wonder kind of guy. I mean, after all, there's only two people that were translated to heaven without tasting death that were told in the scripture. And so apparently, this guy did something right. And so let's look at some of the scriptures. Genesis chapter 5. When Enoch was 65 years old. Now keep in mind, this is in the day when men are living 900 years. So 65 years old isn't that old. Okay, it's just maybe a drop in the bucket. He became the father of Methuselah. You may remember that Methuselah was the oldest man in the Bible, living 969 years. I've often thought maybe there's a connection to his longevity and the the godliness of his father. I don't know, just maybe a connection. But after the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived in close fellowship with God for another 300 years. He had other sons and daughters. Enoch lived 365 years walking in there's that word again, close fellowship with God, then one day he disappeared because God took him. In other words, there's something about Enoch that God just said, I want him closer. I mean, he apparently got to the point where this was as close as he could get on earth and God's like, come here. I don't know what it was about Enoch. I mean, I could speculate, but that's all it would be would be my speculation. We can go to the book of Jude and in Jude chapters four, or verses 14 and 15 uh, of this, this one chapter short book, Enoch, who lived in the seventh generation after Adam, prophesied about these people, these false teachers or these, these false Christians, if you will, that Jude is talking about. He said, listen, the Lord is coming with countless thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on the people of the world. He will convict every person of all the ungodly things that they have done and for all the insults that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. 
That may not impress you, because you may have read the book of Revelation and you know all this, but this is in a time before Christ. This is in a time before Abraham. This is in a time when you remember Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden walked with God in close fellowship, but after that fall, somewhere along the way, Adam and Eve's relationship with God obviously was broken because of sin, but it wasn't quite the same. They had two sons, Cain and Abel, and we remember Cain killed Abel because he was jealous of the way God looked upon Abel with favor and not upon Cain. But God had obviously revealed to them that there were ways to do things, and Cain was choosing to do them his way. And because of that, he hated his brother, who chose to do them God's way, and he killed him. Now Adam and Eve have another son named Seth. And after Seth is born in Genesis chapter 4, it tells us that after this time, men begin to worship the Lord by name. Something changed. And then we know from the generations that come after that, Enoch is born in the middle of this, and Enoch is the great-great-grandfather of a man by the name of Noah. And we know that Noah was a righteous man, and Noah lived blameless in a time when every other person on the earth was wicked. Now, I know that there's a lot of times we use hyperbole and say, everyone is against me, or, you know, the whole world is crazy or gone mad, and it's not really true. We, we use hyperbole a lot. We exaggerate things. But when the Bible says there was no one else righteous on the face of the earth, it doesn't exaggerate. I don't know if you've ever felt alone at work or in your neighborhood or in your family, maybe outnumbered with believers and you, your, your family's ungodly or your, your coworkers are all ungodly and you maybe feel completely outnumbered, but I don't know if you've ever been the only one on the planet to be righteous and to be trying to please the Lord with your life and to give everything. So much so, we know that Abraham, by faith, built an ark. That doesn't mean he sat in his room and dreamed up this ark. Oh yeah, that's what it would look like. Yeah, mm, I'm going to paint a picture of it. He actually built the ark. That's how he had faith. Okay? If Noah would have said, hey, I believe a judgment is coming on this earth that the Lord is going to send. And we know that the scripture tells us he was a preacher too. He didn't just build the ark. He warned people that the flood is coming. God is going to destroy the earth. Now, wouldn't it have been foolish for him to preach that and not be building the ark? That's the kind of faith that a lot of Christians today have. The Lord is coming again. Be ready for his return. And they're doing nothing to prepare. I mean, we're living our lives as if He's really not coming back. I mean, I'm not going to change my behavior at all because thank the Lord for His grace. I know He's going to judge the wicked and there's all those verses about, you know, those people not being in the kingdom of heaven, but that's not me. We're not building the ark at all. And that's what Noah did. Now, the thing about Enoch is he had an amazing revelation of who God is and how to please God before they have had the Scripture. Before that, I mean, we have so much. We have historical proof and we have the scripture and we have, you know, generation after generation who has done this wrong and done this right. And we have all of this in front of us. He had nothing. All he had was maybe some stories from seven generations ago of the Garden of Eden that was perfect and great, 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 great grandfather Adam messed it all up because he ate the fruit. And Enoch had the audacity in that moment to say, I wonder if I could get it back. 
I mean, he'd heard the stories. They, they walked with God in close fellowship. And Enoch, instead of just wondering, set his heart, obviously, on a quest to walk in that same close fellowship. And the thing is, is he couldn't do it because sin separated man from God. And the only way to walk in close fellowship was for God to say, come up here. And it's like God broke all the rules. You can't do that. I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you just take him? I mean, that's not how it's supposed to work. And yet, here's the thing. We know that God doesn't want that just for Enoch. We know because Jesus came to this earth to reveal the Father to us, to reveal how much He loved us, to show us how far He was willing to go to buy us back. So much so that He came as a human being. He set aside His privilege as God. He came to the earth as a human being to prove it. To show us, to say, you know what? God doesn't want you to live isolated from Him. He doesn't want you to wonder what He's like. He wants you to walk in such close fellowship with Him that other people are going to be jealous of you. That's what He wanted all along. That's what He wanted in the garden. That's what He wanted with Enoch. That's what He wanted with Abraham. That's what He wanted with the nation of Israel. That's still what He wants today. And we have all of these facts in front of us that say God rewards those who earnestly seek Him. And for the most part, we just don't believe it. I mean, we do for a little while. And then it's easy to drift back into not believing Him. See, that word seek, there's only one word. In the Greek, it doesn't say diligently seek or earnestly seek. And some of your Bibles say that. And if you have the Amplified, it probably says earnest and disciplined and diligent. It even gives you three words. But there's things, there are Greek words that are used that there's, there's more than one word for seek. And this word for seek is this word. To exert considerable effort and care in learning something. To make a careful search. To seek diligently. To learn. To make an examination. If you will, we can use a sports analogy. The person that is diligent or earnest or disciplined in sports gets rewarded. Do they not? I mean, if you're going to be a great basketball player, or if you're going to be a great hurdler, or if you're going to be good at your sport, you're just not going to hope it happens. I mean, it'd be like going out on the golf court, golf course and playing a round of golf with a, 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 a PGA instructor and having him say, man, you're going to make the pros. And as a young 16-year-old, you'd be like, wow, that's awesome. I'm going to make the pros. But that's not, it's not like a guarantee. You're still going to have to be diligent. You're still going to have to get up and golf every day. You're still going to have to, I mean... You're not just going to be rewarded because some PGA instructor somewhere said you're going to make it. You have to put in the effort. And see, whenever they're deciding who's going to start in the basketball team, they don't just say, okay, how many hours, everyone write down how many hours you put in this summer and uh, up until the season started practicing, going over drills and doing, and whoever has the most hours, there are five starters. You think a coach would do that? So how does diligence get rewarded? Because it proves itself. There's a saying that we used to use in cross country that was, autumn holds no secrets to how you spent your summer. Autumn holds no secrets to how you spent your summer. 
In other words, if you didn't put in the miles over the summer, it's bound to be revealed somewhere along the line. But the good cross-country runners, now there were some anomalies. There were some people in there that, man, they, they just excelled because they had such gifting and ability. But imagine if they had been a little more disciplined, how much more they could have excelled. See, the reward or the diligence is proved in how it shows up. It's the pursuit of Him. It's not as if God's saying, okay, that person put in this many hours of church and this many hours of community service and they read their Bible this many chapters and they did the, okay, total it all up and here's your reward. It's not Santa Claus. It's not like he's got a naughty and nice list that he checks off. It's the pursuit of him that brings reward because the pursuit of him changes us. It transforms us. It makes us like him. It brings us greater understanding of the kingdom and opens up a whole new world to us of walking in fellowship with him. It's not like a reward system that God is doiling out. It's the process of seeking. And see, some of us believe God rewards those who diligently seek Him. And so, you know, we we force ourselves to read the Bible and we'll force ourselves to show up at church and put in our time. And we go through all the religious motions and wonder why God's not doiling it out. Because it's not the activity. No more than when a basketball coach decides who's going to start on the team. He doesn't add up the hours. He shows who's going to prove it on the court. And you don't go and run those drills and you don't go and and put in those hours of practice and be diligent and be earnest because you know that the coach is just tallying up the points. You do it because you want to be better. And so the, the process of seeking after Him transforms us and creates in us the reward system, if you will. We become like Him, diligently seeking Him. Look at what the Scripture says about diligently seeking Him. It says, Deuteronomy chapter 4, the first time that God gives the law through Moses and gives, they're about to enter the promised land and he's talking about going into captivity. But from there, you will search again for the Lord your God. And if you search for him with all your heart and soul, you're going to find him. And see, here's the thing. The problem is God's faithfulness. I know that sounds terrible. It's his faithfulness. I mean, I've talked to him before and I said, Lord, you know, if you just stop being faithful to those of us that are unfaithful, uh, we wouldn't have this problem. But see, we're unfaithful to God and we throw up a prayer and we cry out to the Lord and in his faithfulness, he still hears us. Even though we haven't been diligent, even though we haven't been earnest or disciplined at all. In fact, we've just done things our own way. We've made probably our own mess. And then we throw up a prayer and say, God, please help me. And he does. And I'm like, God, if you'd stop doing that, if you'd just stop being faithful, maybe we would be more disciplined. Probably not. But, I mean, he does respond to us. Don't, I mean, don't think that, you know, it's all about just earning. Because here's the thing. The enemy can come and talk to you and say, you don't deserve to ask God. Well, you never deserve to ask God. I mean, you haven't been diligent. You haven't read your Bible all week. I mean, you expect God to show up. and move. I mean, who do you think you are? Well, it's really not a matter of who I am. It's who he is and what he's done for me. And so even in the process of trying to become like him and being earnest in my searching, I can still come to him when I've been unfaithful. And I can still come with a repentant heart and, and pray and he hears me and he responds. So, so don't take this to an extreme, but there is this idea that if we search him, we don't have to live life that way. 
I mean, it doesn't have to be just up and down and up and down and up and down and, you know, I just try to make it through and hope for the best and scream at my kids and then apologize or scream at my wife and then apologize or just blow my top and then apologize. Or I, mean, I could live a different life because the reward is for those who diligently seek Him. It doesn't have to be this way. Enoch proved it. Jesus proved it. Jesus taught us the same intimacy I have with the Father you're about to have. The works that I've done, greater works are you going to do. Because of who's going to come and live inside it. I mean, if I wish you could for the first time hear that the God of the universe, the Holy Spirit, is now living inside of you. I mean, if you had never heard the story of the gospel at all, and you were thrown into a room, and you said, here's these wicked people, these evil people, and they just, they do things their own way, and they kill people, and they hurt people, and they lie, and they're just terrible. And one day, one of them was pulled aside, and this God who created all of them, who was so perfect, and so full of love, and so amazing, and powerful, and so much, and he went inside of them, you would expect life would be completely different for that one. I mean, if this was a movie, if this was divergent, you're with me? Some of you are like, huh? You would be like, man, those people are going to live crazy different. But the thing is, is we've heard it before. We know the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Yeah, He's God. He lives inside of us. But we're still imperfect, blah, blah, blah. And you know what the problem is? We just don't believe it. We don't believe He exists. We don't believe he's going to reward those who diligently seek him. And so we're convinced it's just, you know, Christian these. If we could just get the spirit of Enoch that says, you know what? I bet we could get it back. I bet we could. I mean, we know we can. Second Chronicles tells us. First Chronicles. Solomon, my son, learn to know the Lord your God the, of your ancestors intimately. Who's this? David. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. And if you seek him, you will find him. But if you forsake him, he'll reject you forever. Second Chronicles 7. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and restore their land. Jeremiah 29. In those days when you pray, I will listen. This is God speaking. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. How many times has he said it throughout the word and dared people, just seek me with your whole heart. Just trust me. Just obey me. Just do this. Test me and see if I won't throw open the windows of heaven. I mean, come on. This is what you were created for. This is what I long for. And time after time, generation after generation, we just don't believe it. I believe a generation is rising up that's going to believe it. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus says this, I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he'll get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Now, Jesus is talking about the man who's coming to his friend's house to get some bread because some travelers are coming and they, he needs bread. He has nothing to set before them. And so he says, if you just keep knocking and knocking and knocking, he won't do it because you're his friend. Now, the people that Jesus are talking to don't think of God as friend. They think of him as holy, be very afraid. He could strike you dead at any moment, uh, but not friend. We know God is our friend. I mean, we've been told that. God is our friend. We sing it. I am a friend of God, blah, blah, blah. And we sing it and we get all happy about it. God's our friend. God's a nice guy. God's our friend. 
I mean, we know he's holy too, but he's our friend. So this isn't a big deal for us. These people don't believe God is your friend. They believe God is holy, righteous, just. You don't walk into his presence with your head up. You kind of grovel in hoping he doesn't smite you. That's God. So not only is Jesus saying he's not going to get up and give you what you need because he's your friend. I mean, they would never even imagine he was their friend. But Jesus says, even if he's your friend, that's not why he's going to get up. If you just keep asking. And people say this all the time. Why? Why keep asking? Why be? I don't know. I mean, I do. I could wager some guesses, but we don't have all day. But here's the thought. If you just keep asking, if you just keep seeking, if you just keep knocking, you're bound to find it. Because he's promised you will. Not because your diligence found it for you. He's hidden it for you all along. And even the fact that you're being diligent to come after him is just the result of him living inside of you. You wouldn't be diligent apart from him. It's just you responding to what he's already put inside you. It's you responding to the Holy Spirit inside of you who yearns for God, who yearns for intimacy. And so there's no sense of spiritual pride at all. It's just me responding to what he's already said and done. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Believe that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So how do we seek him? We pray, we read the word, we obey, we stop, we stop. The whole point of the 21 days of consecration and prayer is that we just stop. We stop. We turn off the television, we turn off the computer, we turn off our phone, we turn off all of the other stuff and we just stop. I mean, we still have to go to work and we still have to make food for the children and we still have all these responsibilities. Some things that we can't stop, but the things that we can, we stop. And we listen. We stop. And we say, God, you promised if we diligently seek you. And there's no, if you do this for 21 days, God's going to, there's no, it's not about 21 days. It's about changing our lives. It's about recognizing that I just kind of wander through my day most of the time without giving God a second thought. Recently, the Lord led me on a a sort of a 90-day fast where I was just giving up some things and stopping some things and and I was going to go through the entire Bible in 90 days and I was determined to read the Bible every single day for 90 days. I don't know if there'd ever been a time where for 90 days, I didn't pick up my Bible every day. And so uh, my mind was focused on it and it's just like, I'm doing this. And one day, around day 80 or 82 or 83, I missed a day. And here's the funny thing, I didn't even realize I missed the day until the next day. When I got the Bible out, iPad, and I realized, ooh, I'm a day behind. And when you're trying to read through the Bible in 90 days, a day is a big chunk of Bible. And so it, it struck me, and I'm like, you know what? Even at day like 83, how easy it is to not just skip it, but not even know I skipped it. And how do I, how do, it was a Sunday. So I begin to think, well, how did I miss it? Well, it was a Sunday, and it was Pastor John's fault. Because him and Heather came over for lunch, and they stayed a long time. And so by the time they left... I hadn't thought about the Bible, but I, I mean, I came to church that day and we read the Bible and I, I taught the Bible and I preached the Bible and so it's like reading the Bible and, and so, but it still struck me as how easy it was to not even know I missed it, even after all those days. I mean, it brought new meaning to the words, 
of the Apostle Paul that says, be careful when you think you stand firm, lest you fall. That we can diligently seek the Lord all of our lives and then just one day just stop and not even know we did. Maybe it was the Lord who made me skip it just so that I'd learn that lesson. Or it was me, I know it was me, I'm just kidding. Why do we seek God? Why do we seek Him earnestly? A lot of reasons. Our spirits can become dull. Mark chapter 4, Luke 21, warn us. Your spirit in this world will become dull. Because your flesh and the world around you does not say, crave God, go after God. And if you don't set your heart and mind daily on seeking after the Lord earnestly, our hearts become dull. Sometimes it's the good things in our lives that the Lord brings. The responsibilities, you know. It's a good thing to find a wife. Remember the Bible says, if you find a wife, you find a good thing. Praise the Lord for your good thing. Amen. For those of you that are still waiting for your good thing, just keep believing, praying, seeking. Maybe change some of your hygiene habits or personal habits or attitudes. I don't know. I'm just kidding. I'm getting in trouble now. Stick to the notes. Don't say stupid things. But sometimes those good things can become the enemy of the best things, right? I mean, sometimes those family responsibilities that God brought us and those children that are a gift from the Lord. I mean, sometimes that can overrun our lives. That ministry that God called you, I mean, He called you to serve in that ministry. He equipped you to serve in the ministry. And all of a sudden, all of these good things that the Lord maybe even brought into your life replace the best thing. Here's what we know is we have one assignment from the Lord. Know Him. Know Him. And when you know Him, you trust Him, you love Him, you follow, that's it. One assignment. But we have a lot of tasks, don't we? We're parents, we're spouses, we're teachers, we're professionals. I mean, we've got, we're board members, we're you know, on this club and that club, or we're in charge of our neighborhood, or we're at mops, or we're, I mean, all of these tasks, but we have one assignment. David says in Psalm 27, 4, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. David knew what it was to have tasks. He was a king. He was a father. Maybe not the best one, but he was a father. He was a husband. I mean, he, the, the list of tasks that David must have had was a mile long. But he had one assignment. And if the tasks become more important than the assignment, we're in trouble. And that's why we need to make sure we set our heart on this one thing, seeking the Lord earnestly. Even the spiritual disciplines in our lives can become routine. Isaiah 58, they're fasting. I mean, we're fasting. Lord, we're fasting. Why aren't you hearing us? Look, we're like... We've lost 30 pounds down here. You're not hearing us. And the Lord's like, it's not about the activity. I mean, you're fasting, but you're doing it to please yourselves. You're doing it because you think I'm Santa Claus and I'm just going to reward you being on the nice list. I mean, you're not fasting me because you know you need to be transformed. You're oppressing each other. You're quarreling. You're fighting. You show up for church every Sunday, but you don't change how you live. You don't change how you talk when you leave church. All you can talk about is that the worship team didn't do the song you like to sing. It's been the whole Christmas season. They haven't sang the carol I like. 
Pastor Tom said that I'm not married because I have personal hygiene problems. See? I mean, we're like, Lord, why don't you hear us? But stop and think for a minute. Am I searching after him diligently because I think he's keeping an hourly checklist? Or because I know that my diligent pursuit of him is to change me? My diligent pursuit of Him is not to get that healing that I think I deserve because of the cross, not to get that thing that I really want, that promotion at work, to get my financial freedom. I'm seeking Him because I know I'm most of the problem. And as I seek Him, the rough edges of me start coming off. And the reward is that. The reward is there's more room in my life for Him because I'm like Him. There aren't as many things in my life that, that are against His nature. I mean, think of God as allergic to sin. Maybe if you don't have allergies, you don't understand. But as a one that is allergic to cats, if I came to your house and you brought 17 cats and sat them on my lap, I wouldn't feel very welcome. Especially if you knew that I was allergic. And we invite God, God, come live in me. And then he comes and lives in us and we throw all this stuff on him and we're like, God, be comfortable. We're just going to this one movie we're going to go to and it's not real bad. I mean, there's, just a, there's a few times they're going to take your name in vain, but just prepare yourself for it. I know, you know, just I'll, I'll point to you and you go, blah, 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 blah. Please make yourself at home in my heart. The diligent pursuit of him is not to get rewarded. You don't get points for showing up at church. You get points for connecting with Him. Because when you connect with Him, it changes who you are. And y'all know I need to change. So we all do. It's impossible to remain the same when we choose to earnestly seek Him. Two last scriptures from Hebrews chapter 2, just the warnings. We must listen very carefully to the truth we've heard or we may drift away from it. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus, after the parable of the sower, says, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you'll be given, and you'll receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, but for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. You can sit in a church pew every Sunday in 2015 and not be closer to the Lord. You can read through the Bible seven times this year and not be closer to the Lord because it's not the activity. It's the position of our hearts. It's understanding that I'm reading the Bible today because I need to be changed. I'm not like Him yet. I'm grateful that He has put me in right standing with Him. I'm grateful that I can come boldly into His presence today and I don't have to go like this. I can just come because of what Christ has done for me. I'm grateful for the grace that He's offered. I'm grateful that it's just a gift. That it's not something I've had to earn but I'm not going to let that be an excuse. I need to earnestly seek Him and pursue Him because I'm not where I need to be. So my prayer is that not just for this 21 days, but for this year and for the rest of our lives until the Lord returns, is that we be a people that choose to seek Him earnestly. To seek Him earnestly. There's a prayer that I want to share with you and I'm going to ask Christy to come back to the keyboard as we get ready to close. Let me remind you that for the 21 days of fasting and prayer, we're going to meet here on Friday night at 6.30 for a launch service. We're going to talk more about the time of fasting and prayer, more about the prayer services. We're going to distribute the prayer guides 
If you cannot be here on Friday night, please uh, send me a message, an email, a text, call. Uh, don't just stop me and say, hey, I won't be there, but send me something that's in written form so that I remember to get a copy of the prayer guide for you if you've signed up for a copy. Uh, the only way you're going to get it is to show up Friday or let me know that you uh, requested a copy and we'll get that to you. Um, but we're going to meet here Friday night and then every Monday through Friday at 6.30, we're meeting at the Nazarene Church for prayer at 6.30 uh, together with all of the churches that are involved, uh, those that can make it. Um, clear your schedule as much as possible. We recognize you're not going to be able to be there every night over the, the course of the time, but when you can be there, uh, make sure that you're there. Also, be aware that the enemy uh, doesn't like fasting, uh, neither does your flesh. And so in the days and the weeks ahead, uh, expect opposition. You know, whenever you're extra crabby, don't be like, where is this coming from? It's just coming from within. It's okay. Um, just repent. God, look at, look at all this yuck that I've hidden because I was on the internet and eating things that, you know, and just finding ways to suppress it. Uh, it's all coming to the surface, God. Thank you for showing it to me. I, I know I'm trying to rush through this, but um, thank you, it, I'm not trying to be flippant at all. Um, thank you for showing it to me and just get the junk out. Uh, and that'll happen. And that'll happen in the days and the weeks ahead. And that's okay. So don't give up and say, this fasting isn't working. I'm becoming a terrible person. Uh, sometimes you have to become aware of who we are so that we can become better. Amen. But Sarah Young, uh, Sarah is a, a lady that wrote a book called uh, Jesus is Calling. Uh, it's not a book as much as it is a list of prayers. And she's got one prayer in particular that I thought summed up this message uh, so well, and I wanted to share it with you. And so uh, would you stand with me as we get ready to close? And this is what Sarah writes. Seek my face and you will find all that you've longed for. The deepest yearnings of your heart are for intimacy with me. I know because I designed you to desire me. Do not feel guilty about taking time to be still in my presence. You are simply responding to the tugs of divinity within you. I made you in my image, and I hid heaven in your heart. Your yearning for me is a form of homesickness, longing for your true home in heaven. Do not be afraid to be different from other people. The path I've called you to travel is exquisitely right for you. The more closely you follow my leading, the more fully I can develop your gifts. To follow me wholeheartedly, you must relinquish your desire to please other people. However, your closeness to me will bless others by enabling you to shine brightly in this dark world. Father, that's our prayer. We want to be a people that earnestly seek you. We choose the same way you have put choices in front of your people for countless years. Choose today whom you're going to serve. Today we choose to be earnest seekers of you. Father, thank you for making the way for that. Thank you for revealing to us through your son and through your word that this is what you desire of us. Thank you for clearing the way. Thank you for putting your Holy Spirit in us that jealously longs for this. Forgive us for crowding that voice out. Forgive us for allowing other things to compete with that voice and even becoming deaf to that voice that is crying out within us, 
longing for that intimate connection with you. Father, we recognize that our lives need to be transformed. The way that we think, the way that we view situations, the way we respond, the way we act, it's not the kind of place that you're home. And so transform us. In this time when we begin to earnestly seek you, transform our hearts. Transform how we view other people. Transform how we talk. Teach us true humility. Teach us not to be afraid to be vulnerable. Teach us not to be afraid to admit our our mistakes or our weaknesses. Teach us true humility. Teach us true repentance. Teach us true desperation. So Father, for your grace over these next 21 days, we need your help. Help us as we set our hearts on seeking you. Not just for these 21 days, but in this year ahead, may we be a people that choose earnestly to seek you. We recognize that some days may be more passionate than others, but God, may we be deliberate. May we be relentless. May we not give up in our pursuit of you. Help us to earnestly seek you. dismiss the service and if you need to go or you you want to be dismissed uh, please just do that quietly let this place uh, be a place that can remain worshipful for those that want to spend a few more moments if you want to spend some time in prayer either at your seat or this altar you can do that if you need to be prayed for and you haven't been prayed for yet today uh, our prayer team will continue to be here we want to make ourselves available to you to pray for you and whatever the Lord is doing in your life, whatever you need from Him. We want to make ourselves available to you. Would you take just a few moments, as much as you can before you leave, let your heart be connected with Him. Admit your need of Him, your dependence on Him. Ask Him to make it more of a reality today and in the days ahead, each day, making you more aware of how desperately we need Him in our lives. So Holy Spirit, seal your words in our heart. May these promises that we have read, these warnings that we have read together, cause faith to grow up in our hearts. God, faith, you said, comes from hearing your word, hearing your promises, hearing your warnings. Cause faith to grow in our hearts that we would be earnest seekers of you. I pray it in Jesus' name.
Oh